0: Hey there pastor Adam here this last sunday we finished the book of the revelation and the last chapter has this warning it says in revelation chapter 22 that in verse 18 jesus warns everyone who hears the words of the prophecy and of this scroll if anyone adds anything to them god will add to their to that person the plagues described in this scroll so if you add To the stuff that is written in the book of the Revelation. Hey, uh, by the way, here's this extra chapter. Here's this extra thing I've added on. Then you will have judgment added to you. And verse 19, if anyone takes away from the words of the scroll of prophecy, God will take from that person any share in the tree of life in the holy city, which is described in this scroll. So you say, wait a minute, I thought we got to heaven not based on anything we did or we didn't do, but we get to heaven based on our faith in Jesus and what he has done, that he did no sin, and yet he went to the cross, and when he died as the perfect substitution, the perfect sacrifice on our behalf, that our sins were placed on him. How could if I take away from the scroll? How could that affect my eternal salvation? And then some people have taken this and said, "Is this is applicable to all of the Scripture?" And we didn't have time uh, this last Sunday to talk about this in detail. So I wanted to take a quick couple minutes and just break this down. So first, this directly only applies to the Book of the Revelation. This is not as it's given, a general uh, stance for the whole of the Bible. I think it's applicable. We'll come back to that in a minute. But it's for the book of the Revelation. Now, when it says somebody will have their name, have no part in the book of life and in the whole of holy city that's described in the scroll, if you uh, take away from the scroll, what, it's, what Jesus is saying here is that if you have true saving faith, then you're not going to want to take away from, from the message of the gospel. And Now, I have friends who do not take the book of the Revelation seriously. They are Jesus-loving, full-believing Christians, but they think it's allegorical, it's metaphorical, it's ancient apocalyptic literature, and it's not really applicable for today. It's describing the destruction of Jerusalem or the persecution of the church in the first century, or it's a metaphor for things, but it's not something we need to take too seriously. Yet, they would not in any way try to take away the words that are being said, they have a different interpretation than I do. Uh, I would say they don't take it as seriously as as some of us do, but they aren't trying to take away from the words of this book. Do you know who does try to take away from the words of this book? Heretics, those who preach a different gospel, uh, those who say that Jesus is not coming back, um, those who want to disregard the words of this prophecy. So Jesus is giving this warning this specific warning as it's being passed around, sent to the original seven churches, and then copied and sent around to the church at large. When you copy this, take it seriously. When you spread this, everything stays in that was in, and do not add anything that tickles your fancy. This warning is directly given for this book. And I think what Jesus was trying to communicate was the seriousness of transmitting the word of God. I appreciate scholars and theologians who work on Bible translations and the um, transparency they have. Some, like the ESV released video of their deliberations. Um, I, I have the New International Version here in front of me, and where there's disagreement, they put it in the footnotes. Some people think this, some people think this, and they give you both options. There is incredible transparency among the majority of our Bible scholars and translators, and I appreciate that so much. They take this seriously, and I'm thankful for them. Now, is it applicable to the wider Scripture, the Old and the New Testament, Genesis to Revelation. I think the principle certainly is. It's interesting, one of the, the first signs of a heretic, a cult leader, um, a false teacher, is they do one of these two things. Inevitably, they add or take away from the word of God. Cult leader comes along and says, you know, that's all great. But you also need to do this other thing. I have special revelation in addition to the Bible. And then they get a following. Ooh, they have God's, you know, this person's getting special stuff from God. They're getting special downloads from God that we're not getting. We want to be around this person so we can get some of that too. They're adding to scripture and putting their voice on equal or even greater footing than scripture. Or they come and they take away from scripture. We don't know who the first true heretic was, the first person who came and uh, broke away from the apostles' teaching and from the word of God, but the first one that's named individually, we know the Gnostics existed even in the time of the apostles, but the first named heretic is likely somebody named Marcion, and uh, Marcionism is named after him, but he basically said, I'm only going to read the writings of Paul. And that's it. Anything else, I'm going to get rid of and I'm going to reject. He was anti-Semitic. He's a racist. And so he got rid of the Old Testament because it's Jewish. He got rid of any of the apostles he felt were too Jewish. He went with Paul, even though Paul was Jewish and Paul was incredible. Read Romans. I don't know how. uh, What happened is he just starts ignoring parts of Paul's writing that are too Jewish. And, and so that's the sign in the larger sense of somebody who's a heretic, who's a cult leader. They add or they take away. Now, there are parts of the Bible that we have disagreements about. Really notable is if you read the end of the Gospel of Mark, um, Almost every translation now will tell you that there is debate and dispute about whether uh, that last section of the Gospel of Mark was original or not. I firmly believe that it was. This is something like I don't like to fight with people about theological stuff, it just seems pointless to me. But uh, this is one that I will kind of go toe to toe just because I I believe so strongly in it. At the same time, I know people that very genuinely disagree with me. They love Jesus. Um, They aren't trying to take away, they're trying to be accurate. And I think there is a supreme difference between somebody who is trying to be accurate and somebody like President Thomas Jefferson, who was famous for taking scissors to the Bible and just cutting out whole sections like a modern Marcion. He was just cutting out whole sections of the Bible that he didn't like or agree with. We need to take the whole Bible And wrestle with it. And the parts we don't like, we have to kind of be brutally honest and say, why don't we like them? What some people do is they try to take away from the Bible because there's parts that they don't like or it doesn't fit with their worldview. And so they'll say, I want to get rid of this because I'm uncomfortable with it. Instead of going, why am I uncomfortable with it? Is there something that God needs to work in me? Is it possible that God's not wrong? Is it possible that this is an area in which I am not surrendered to him? Or people try to add to it. I mean, there's literally like the the Mormons with the, you know, Pearl of Great Price and the Book of Mormon. Um, yeah, there's that too. I would say this. If God were to bring a prophet who were to have an, a new or another testament, as the Mormons claim, then it would agree and it would line up with the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because the Old and the New Testament tell one cohesive story, the story of Jesus. The Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Christ and Doctrines and Covenants do not line up with either the Old or the New Testament. And I'll say that emphatically, and I have friends and I've had great friendships with uh, people in the the Mormon uh, faith, but it is not the Christian faith, and they try to add to the Word of God. Now, I have friends, usually secular friends, who will say, sure, Adam, but you know what? In the Bible, it says that you shouldn't eat bacon and you shouldn't eat shrimp. And Adam, I know that you love bacon-wrapped shrimp. So what's the deal there? The Old Testament, the Old Covenant had three types of law, and you can hear more about this like in the earlier episodes of our 20-minute Bible study podcast or uh, in the Starting Points podcast when we went through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We talked about this. There are three types of law in the Old Testament. There is national law, the nation of Israel that God was establishing, and they had laws, and just like, you know, there are things that are legal here but not legal across the river in Washington, or there are things that are illegal in the city of Milwaukee, but if you go a little south here into unincorporated Clackamas County, it's totally fine. Uh, I saw somebody this last week complaining that, you know, fireworks are illegal in Milwaukee. How come I see all these fireworks stands on McLaughlin? I was like, well, because they're not in the city of Milwaukee. It's just different rules. So a national law, while informative, uh, is not something that's binding. I don't live in the nation of Israel, neither do you. Now, and, and even people that live in modern Israel aren't living under that system anymore. So national laws, while informative, not binding. I will say that quite a bit of my views on things like social justice are formed by the Old Testament law. But that doesn't mean that it's binding. It's just informative. So there's national law. Then there's covenant law. The people of Israel were part of a covenant, an agreement between God and the people. You do this, God will do that. God does this, so you do that. They had to go to feasts at certain times, observe certain rituals. Jesus fulfilled that covenant when he died on the cross. When he rose from the dead, he created the new covenant of grace that we currently live in. The old system was you do these things And then God will do things. The new system, the better system, is that Jesus has done everything. Jesus made the way of our salvation. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to empower Christians. It's way better. Covenant law is fulfilled. Now, we still look back on covenant things and we see in the sacrifices and the rituals and the feasts and the festivals, things that were showing Jesus so we remember them and we recognize them as they point us closer to Jesus. Covenant law, national law, then there's universal law. Murder is bad, right? Murder is bad. Everything in the Ten Commandments would be under universal law. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't go around lying. These are things that are bad. Universal law, seen in the Old Testament law, is talked about by Jesus in the Gospels, taught by the apostles, seen in Acts and other parts of the New Testament. Murder, adultery, idolatry, these are all things that are talked about even here. Even here in in the end of the book of the Revelation, Jesus says that the people who aren't welcomed into the kingdom of heaven are those who practice sorcery, magic arts, the sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, everybody who loves and practices lies. So these things that are universal truth, we still believe in. So when somebody comes along and says, well, Christians today, they're doing what Jesus says. They take away from the Bible because they're ignoring these things, are failing to recognize... Are you talking about a national law in a nation that we don't live in? Are you talking about a covenant law for a covenant that has been fulfilled and we live in a different covenant? Or are you talking about a universal truth that is seen in the Old and New Testament, taught by Jesus, taught by the apostles, seen and modeled in the New Testament scripture, uh, confirmed by the church fathers? All of these things would be things that we would say, hey, we're we're not taking away. We're just reasonable people. This warning here about adding or taking away is a specific warning to Revelation. It is a general truth to the Bible, and it is something that we should take very seriously and we should be very aware of. But instead of looking at other people and pointing the finger at other people, the challenge for us is to point the finger at ourselves and to be very, very, almost let's call it ruthless in our own self-examination and say, I can't control other people. I can't worry about other people. But where am I adding, intentionally or not, where am I adding to the word of God? Where am I adding rules for myself or other people to keep that God didn't give me? Where am I taking away? Where am I ignoring things that God has given and said, this is the way to go? And I just ignore it and I do the opposite. So Jesus left us this warning. It's for the book of the Revelation. It is applicable in principle to the entire word of God, and it is something that we need to be ruthless in our own self-examination about. I hope that answers questions. I also hope that it spurs new questions. So if you have questions, something there like, hey, what's that all about? you can reach out, you can email me, talk to me at church, uh, however you want to reach out and connect. We'd love to keep talking about these things. I believe in conversation and dialogue and back and forth. I believe that is how Christians are supposed to engage with the word of God, not just individually, but collectively together with each other as a church family. Let's keep doing that.